Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. The text for our Gospel Proclamation comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and chapter 2 and serves the basis of the theme for our eighth Sunday after Pentecost, Bearing Our Vanity. Twenty-three years ago, I met my first fourth-year seminarian when I was a first-year seminarian at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. His name was Rob, and he was a really nice guy. I played soccer with at seminary. Back in those days, we learned from the professors what we were supposed to learn officially, and from the upperclassmen, we learned even more unofficially. What I learned from Rob the first time I met him is that some pastors are bitter old men. Please let me explain. In seminary, we were required to take a bunch of classes that were the basis of our practical training. So our first classes were pastor as worship leader, pastor as counselor, pastor as preacher, pastor as leader, and so on and so forth, Basically, everything we do as pastors, you see every day. So when Rob made a comment after returning from vicarage, it was in line with these kind of classes we took. Just getting back from our vicarage internship year for that final fourth year at the seminary to round out his education, Rob jokingly said, I still need to take pastor as bitter old man. Having been in the ministry a few years now, I can understand why some may have come bitter for many reasons. But I have to tell you, my experience with older pastors has always been great. They have nearly all been kind, generous men who brought me along lovingly and gently, even when I didn't deserve it. My bishops and supervising pastors, pastors you know, in Eustace here, like Pastor Genzen and Chaplain Shaw, Pastor Schultz, and, of course, our emeritus pastor, Pastor Gherkin. Each and every one of them have given me countless words of wisdom, prayed for my family and me, and were ready to help at the times I needed the elderly statesmen's counsel the most. So, the experience Rob had was quite different from mine. And from whence those bitter old men generated was a mystery to me. Until I carefully read the words of King Solomon in Ecclesiastes today. The word of God is inspired and inerrant. But the Holy Spirit did use men whose personal characteristics come through as they wrote God's holy words. So you not only hear the very words of God, but you even feel the personality of his scribes and, by extension, even the culture of the people whom God's word was first inspired for. That's why, when we read today's lessons, there is this unmistakable bitterness in God's word inspired by the Holy Spirit through King Solomon. And understanding when King Solomon was inspired to write Ecclesiastes then you will understand why. For example, 
Solomon strayed from the Lord later in his life because he allowed his many idolatrous wives and concubines to lead him into idolatry. The writer crassly describes his pursuit of power and pleasure, which only lead to emptiness. This could explain the desperation, even unbelief expressed repeatedly in Ecclesiastes, which seems depressing with its droning, negative outlook. But seeing it only as depressing misses the point of God's inspiration. It is a warning from Solomon. Beware of vanity. And the vanity he warns us about is chasing after that which cannot be found. We know that Solomon chased it all, making the mistakes for us so we would not have to. Solomon sought after wisdom, learning, philosophy, mathematics, trade, merchandise, mechanics, history, kingdoms, law, etc., 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 as King Mungut put it in Rodgers and Hammerstein's musical, The King and I. And even though he definitely knew more than anyone else, just like King of Siam, all Solomon really got for it was the title of the most pretentious person at the party everywhere he went. All is vanity and striving after the wind. Yes. That was the faithful conclusion of Solomon the wise. So Solomon just outworked everyone he knew. We can't fault him for that, can we? I mean, how many years have I watched sport teams here at Faith Lutheran School go out and face off against teams far superior athletically? And our brilliant coaches knew the other team's weakness was often just plain laziness. So our kids just out-hustled them. And more often than not, they squeaked out the win to the shock and dismay of their superior opponents. Work smarter, not harder, we say. But I tell you these days, churches will take the hard worker and make them smarter. But for even the hardest worker, it all comes to an end one day. Another season comes along and sometimes all the hard work in the world doesn't bring home the trophy. The greatest organizations and the finest churches led with amazing leadership and sound principles must eventually pass it on to the next generation called by God to take it from there. It's hard, really hard for those faithful pastors and leaders to trust that next young kid what if he or she doesn't work as hard as I did? What if it all crumbles around them? And sometimes it does. And Solomon reminds us once again, all is vanity and striving after the wind. So, the false conclusion after all this is said and done is simply give up, eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Unfortunately, some in the church do give up. But such a course of action, I think you would all agree, 
would not demonstrate the wisdom conferred upon Solomon by God himself. Luther, who albeit humble, had a wise thing or two to say concerning this conundrum we face today. He says, Let us learn, therefore, to submit ourselves to the counsels of God and refrain from the cares and thoughts that God has not commanded. There is nothing more acceptable to God than if we refrain from our own counsels and rely on his word. There we find sufficient guidance about what we ought to do. His commands to us are faith, love, and bearing the cross. With these things I say, we can happily occupy ourselves. Let us deal with everything else as it comes into our hands, leaving to him the concern about its outcome. Indeed, wisdom in working hard will fail us if it grows from our sinful desire and motivation of self. But there's another way that begets the eternal wisdom of God's way and his will working for good. Just this past week, I was meeting with one of our board chairs about getting a program going at church to serve and save the lost. I laid the strategic plan before him and we both agreed there's a lot to do there. Not being an expert on any given program generally leads me to follow the strategic plan in order to see it successfully executed. He asked if we had to do it all. And of course I said, no one I knew ever did. But even though the plan for serving and saving the lost is indeed a lengthy punch list, it's like scripture. The more we follow, obey, implement, and trust God's word, the better we will do as people living unto him. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. That doesn't mean that even I, as a pastor, always follow God's word like I should. I know. Gasp. Perish the thought. And all my time in the ministry tells me, you don't either. You don't believe me? Well, consider what Reverend Jonathan T. Krentz said in our Portals of Prayer devotion for Monday, the 29th of July. We are constantly tempted to take at least some of the credit for the things God has given us. We work hard to build a life and enjoy a lifestyle. We've earned it, we think. We even like to take at least a little bit of the credit for our salvation. There must be something in me that makes God favorable toward me, makes me worth saving, Maybe it's my good disposition, my love for God, my obedience to his roles, or my decision for Jesus. The frustration that can emanate from one betrayed by their own works and their own successes and even their own dedication to knowledge and wisdom leading them farther and farther from their Savior can indeed turn anyone into a bitter old man or woman. I think you all know what Solomon says. Repeat after me, won't you? All is vanity and striving after the wind. Indeed it is. Thanks be to God that Jesus' wisdom saw the error of our ways and knew the way through the cross was the way to get us back to him. Thanks be to God that Jesus' work on the cross forgave the iniquity of our vanity and saved us from all our sins. 
Thanks be to God that when we are bitterly estranged from him, he brings us back with his faithfulness, loving us unconditionally and sacrificially, bearing our vanity on the cross eternally. Amen. Now may that peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus always. Amen.